Hey, what's up, Jeff? Oh man, that, that they were killing me with that. That was great. Zay Zay was coming up with all these all these potential stories. I like how he's he is trying to put his mind. He's trying to put he's trying to find the perspective of the player here when it seems very cut and dry that the player has a screw loose and made he compounded one mistake by making a much larger mistake by jumping his coach after the fact. Yeah, I've been I've been benched before, and I may have said uh, this back in high school, and I may have said a few a few things eventually that I wanted to take back. None of them that bad, but yeah, certainly never. Uh, um, I've got a few screws loose, but not that many. So I never I I never went to that extent. Yeah, that's a good thing. Congratulations! <laughs> You're like ninety nine point nine percent of every other kid who has a coach, even the asshole coaches, right? Like you don't uh, you don't get into a physical altercation in no. most instances. There are exceptions though. I don't know. Maybe the coach crossed a line that Zay is talking about. It, it is always possible because we'd like to think that most coaches are more of a positive example than not, but it's kind of like the cliche about uh, teachers in America. Like we want to laud teachers in America, but there are a lot of teachers in America, which means there's a lot of C plus college students who didn't really have any direction. And so they just decided to get a degree and get into teaching because they wanted summers off and they wanted a couple weeks off around Christmas as well. And the great teachers, we should put them on a pedestal, but I don't know. There needs to be some sort of public shaming of the teachers who are really bad at the job and are doing it for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, thankfully I didn't have very many of those bad teachers and coaches, but the few negative interactions I had, I feel like I turn them into a positive. I turn them into a good thing. It, it motivated me like teachers that maybe say, Hey, you shouldn't, don't worry doing that. Like kind of saying like, you're not, you're not cut out for that, you know, but also, oh, but also yeah. I'm just, I'm that kind of person that that will motivate me. Everyone's motivated in a different way. Some kids that have a ton of talent might need to be motivated in a different way. And that could make them shut down and then never realize their potential. Not so saying I've Michael, realized my potential here, but you went Michael Jordan a little bit. Then you're like, "Oh, you're doubting me right now." All right, I'll show you. I did. See, I would just get myself in trouble whenever there was a teacher who sucked and wasn't worth my time. But we were stuck with one another for a semester or two semesters, depending on the class and how far back you go. It would just turn into smartass central for me, which would <laughs> almost always lead to calls with parents and or meetings that included vice principals or principals. See, thankfully for, for whatever reason, I've just never, I've never had an issue with the, I, and I hate using the word conflict, but I've never had an issue with that. Like if I felt like a conversation needed to be had, I would just have the conversation. With it, it sounds like, did you ever get in trouble in school? Like what's the most you ever got in trouble in school? Like a couple times in elementary school for just doing like dumb crap on the playground of like, you know, getting like a little scrappy fight or something over four square handball, football, what, like whatever we were doing. And then mainly, mainly in high school, just like I ditched once and got caught on a field trip. Like I slipped out or whatever. Um, and that not, not really like a cool story. I just like, there was like a Mexican restaurant next door and I just like walked over there with a couple of buddies and like got food and they were like, Yo, you're not supposed to be there. And then I got written up for that. <laughs> oh, you only got written up. You didn't face in-school suspension for a day or anything? No, no, never. I mean, I wish I had some cool stories about like, wow, I really, I really pushed it on this and like got suspended or something, but I don't.
you were high school in Southern California, correct? Yeah. What were the Southern California field trips? Because in the DFW area, it was the Holocaust Museum. So we did um, some of the, like the Reagan Presidential Library. Okay. I think we did that one time. But this one that I'm talking about was just, it was just over to Pasadena. It was just like a field trip to some, it was a PE field trip in ninth grade to some rock climbing place. Sweet. Holy yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So I did the rock climbing and then it was like, sit on the side and do your, you know, now just wait. And we were like, I mean, again, we should have followed the rules, but we were also like stupid rule. You let kids be bored. Kids get creative with how to pass the time. Yeah. Y'all's creativity wasn't destructive. No. I need something better to do than sitting on the side while everybody else climbed rock. Or just, wanted, rock. Just, just a couple guys being dudes wanting to go get some Christmas time tamales. You know, it's pretty harmless. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty harmless. I, I dealt with the in-school suspension thing once in high school as a result of me writing a fake story about the golf team and the school newspaper because everybody on the golf team, many of whom I was friends with hated the go golf coach. He was a colossal asshole. And there was also one suck up on the team. And I just completely shit on both of them via quote attributed to my friends. It was going to be epic, but unfortunately the story was snuffed out by the editor. And then the, my, the head of the newspaper, I guess, who was also the journalist, the, the uh, journalism teacher. And so I got ratted on to the principal, had a meeting with the vice principal, Mr. Pouncey, Joe Pouncey. Great man. God, one of the all time great school administrators. He had run track at SMU back in the day, and he was just no bullshit. He was just this, uh, I don't know if he was a Vietnam vet necessarily, but he was a, he was a former military guy, this black dude, no bullshit black dude. And so he pulls me into his office and he's like, he's looking at the article or whatever as I sit down and he and I had a good relationship because my best friend at the time was his, was his secretary. His mom was his secretary, was uh, Pouncey's secretary. So he looks at the story and he looks back at me and he's like, boy, what the hell are you thinking here? I'm like, <laughs> I was just trying to have fun. Mr. Pouncey it was stupid. I got pot caught. I'm sorry. He's like, well, you know what I got to do now? I got to got to send you out to the portables for a couple of days. I'm like, that's cool. I'm like, you'll send me out for three days. I'll get all my work done in the first half of the day. Yeah. Back in class on days two and three because all my work is done because it's just a bunch of slapdicks in there who takes forever just to do one assignment. And that's what happens. The portables. That's amazing. That that just sounds like a classic. You're in trouble spot. Oh, yeah. No, the, the portables with the the janky window unit AC <laughs> where it's, it's 15 degrees colder within like that 10 foot radius of the AC. And then everybody else is sweating their ass off or freezing cold. What are the opposite of the, or what are the outdoor temperature is? Yeah. Are we official? Like saying stuff like this, Trey, it makes me feel like we're officially like we've officially crossed over into a new, just into a new phase. Like we're, we're now the ones talking about, Oh, but like this is a very back in my day conversation for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just reading a text message from. Okay. Tristan is not going to be joining us today. He had texted earlier and uh, just going to raise the curtain up here. Uh, football season's not totally over, but this is kind of an in-between week. So we weren't sure what was going to happen. And he texted me this morning saying, Hey, are you guys doing a show? I'm like, yeah, you want to come on at four? If so, what do you want to talk about? 
because he's admitted that he doesn't really follow the NFL that closely or other college football. I'm like, what do you want to talk about? We can get creative with it. Like what you and I are doing right now, right? Yeah, I know. You know <laughs> the threshold. I was about to say. And so he didn't text me after that all the way up until now. And so his wife, his wife either has a meeting or he's saying his wife has a meeting because he hasn't thought of anything good to talk about. So uh, regardless, we love Tristan. We will catch up with him again at some point around the college football semifinal game to get his thoughts uh, heading into the game. And then, of course, after the game as well. And hopefully there's a national championship game to talk about, too, that the Longhorns are involved in. Trey, I think Tristan probably started going down the list of like, wow, where could this possibly go with these two guys? Like, where could the conversation possibly go if there's no structure? And he probably he probably was just like, I don't I don't know if I don't know if I have the bandwidth to be a part of that right now. You know, and they were maybe he listened to the first 10 minutes of this and was like, oh, my God, this is what it's going to become. <laughs> <laughs> it did literally just come in two minutes ago. So there's uh, there may be something to that theory. And he was probably like. Yeah, these guys, I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let the fellas have it today. They can talk about whatever they want to talk about. Look, I considered spending the first hour of this show talking Oakland Raiders football with you just because you guys were a part of, I don't know, one of the worst games in modern memory yesterday. There's a potential uh quarterback change on the horizon now because the offense was so futile. But then you're also a Dodgers fan too. So I, I was really wanting to just cater to all your selfish sports needs because of how crazy your weekend was with those two teams. And you didn't even mention, you know, trying to come to grips with what an in-season NBA tournament championship means. Like I just had all of this, like Dodgers signed Shohei. I'm losing it because of that. Now the Lakers win some championship that I don't even understand what it means. Now we have two questions two championships with questionable meaning in the last three years uh, didn't even hardly compete with the nuggets in the actual conference finals a year ago to go to the real finals. And then the Raiders play one of the most sickening, disgusting, just absolute mockeries of a football game. I mean that, that game set football back decades. Three. Just ab- I mean, the, it, three nothing and it wasn't it wasn't like they got the three early and then it was just like hey great defense all game boys like they both had a hundred chances in the fourth quarter to take the three nothing lead and i i admittedly was more invested i mean i had it on my laptop and then i had the chiefs game on because Mm -hmm. i was selfishly invested in that and unfortunately on the wrong side of what happened there oh did you have the chiefs in our weekly picks pool Trey, I had the Chiefs to get to six and two on the week. So I went five and three instead. It's like, all right, winning, winning week. But I think I'm going to be tied with two with two other guys in the league now. Whereas if the Chiefs had won, I would have gotten to six and two and probably had a one, maybe two game lead. The other guys right on my heels have both have the games today. So I don't know exactly what I need to root against. But collapse yeah, is so- continuing. I'm looking at Pole Assassin right now. Pole Assassin, they do have one game tonight, and that would be the Giants is plus 6.5. So and I've so I need to root for the pack. Pack to win by a touchdown or more. And, yeah. And I've got what a, a what if he wins that game, we're tied. If he wins that game, you're tied. Otherwise, you have uh, you'll have a uh, one game lead just based on wins. Yeah, I'm not I'm not, you know, this is a this is a big year. I'm not trying to split any money. I'm not trying to split any money this year. I've I've let it slip away way too many times. And that's almost the almost the bad part where I'm like I'm I'm over now I'm overly invested like I'm not even enjoying it now I'm just like oh my god I got if I don't go six and two I'm gonna be pissed 
which going six and two is freaking hard, man. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I did my usual five you, and three this week. I had a six and two last week. That felt good. I was going to say, you've been, I've been looking at the weekly standings. You've been doing well. Yeah, climbing a little bit. I missed one week, unfortunately, which means that I would need to go seven and zero on out to even have a chance. So that's not <laughs> happening. But above five hundred, you know, I what, what is it that they say? Sixty percent. If you're sixty percent right, you're making money on the bets that you're placing. Yeah, but even like I, th- I think the rule is like the average, like the sharpest betters, they're happy if they they're happy if they go the whole season and win like fifty seven or fifty eight percent or something like that. That would be like at least a decent year. And also, those guys are. It's because those guys are betting thousands. It's, you know, they're professional bettors. They're betting thousands of dollars on games. So yeah. uh, that slim of a margin would actually average out to a decent amount of money if you're betting a lot. Well, you're way over that right now. You're 75 and 45. I know. And I've been doing my usual one unit on most of those games. So I'm, I'm having a good year, but. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, but one unit's like, like $15. <laughs> it isn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but it's, it's not. Uh, it's not 1500 like some of these professional betters. It's a little bit extra money for Christmas or the wedding that's coming up this weekend. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, actually, we're uh, we're doing it a little non-traditional. Thursday night, wedding rager. So three, three days out from the wedding. That's why if you hear a little background noise, the house is uh, – everyone's kind of starting to file in over the next day or two. Okay. Oh, you're, you're going to have a bunch of in-laws staying with you guys? Yeah, well, actually, most we're gonna head downtown. We're gonna stay. Uh, we're gonna stay downtown at a hotel for pretty much. I think we check in Wednesday for most of the week. Wednesday to Sunday. What hotel? JW Marriott. Nice. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm going, I'm going all out for this. No. Are you Why guys not? eating? Are you guys eating a meal at a Dean's Italian Steakhouse that's in the first floor there? We don't have, we don't have a plan for it. But I was over there yesterday because my mom was already, she's already staying at the hotel. You do you recommend it? It's a really good spot. Yeah. Kevin okay. Dunn, who is a big foodie also, he turned me on to it. And so we'll grab a, a meal there from time to time. They've got a really good bucatini. Uh, they do a good tuna dish. Yeah, they've, they've got a bunch of good stuff there. I do recommend. Like there, there are other places that are going to receive more hype in downtown Austin. But just for a, a good quick meal, if you want to get in and out early, you have a large group of people and, and everybody can kind of meet up earlier. That's It's not a bad option. Oh, nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll check that one out, and then I feel like it's going to be a lot of uh, me saying that I'm going to be pretty low key, and then all my degenerate buddies from back home saying, "No, that's that's BS. That's not going. That's not how this is going to go this week, dude." So y'all are getting married on Thursday, then? Yeah. Yes, sir. In the JW Marriott, or do you have a no <clears throat> a venue a venue in Drip in Dripping Springs? Okay, so the wedding and the reception will be that night. Yeah. And then, and then we've got other stuff planned. Like, weekend? Yeah. That's why, that's kind of why we wanted to do it that way was, was so that we could have like the rest of the weekend too. We kind of did it a little different where a lot of typically you would do like Saturday and then everybody would do stuff. Thank you, CB. Um, and then, you know, people would do stuff Friday, Saturday or come in even, uh, or sorry, Thursday, Friday, whatnot. So we're like, yeah, we'll switch it up a little bit, do it the other way. And I have like buddies that they're going to uh, they're going to the comedy, the mothership, yeah, downtown. Are they they're, going to see one of Rogan's shows on Thursday? They're doing it Saturday, so they're going Saturday. Saturday, okay. They're gonna uh, unless they're in the small room. If they're going to the headliner, it's Felipe Esparza. I'm interviewing him. Oh, nice. On Wednesday, yeah, he's a 
very well-established comedian, funny, funny dude. It's one of the best comedy clubs on the planet. So whether they're in the big room or the small room, they're bound to have a good time. Yeah, I know they were, they're pretty fired up about it. So um, I might join them. It just depends what we have going on. I mean, you know how it is. I don't know what your wedding, your whole wedding festivities look like, but um, it's a lot of not wanting to make too many plans because you want to spend as much time with all the people and family and friends that came out. Yeah, we did a destination wedding in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. Oh, nice. We were living in Chicago at the time, drink up. So we wanted to escape the Chicago winter. So we did it in mid-January. We actually did it on my birthday, January 12th, which just so happened to have fallen on a, a Saturday that year. And we did it inviting the people that we wanted to celebrate with, but also understanding that because it was just after the first of the year, and it was a destination wedding that we may not get a great response. And we got a huge positive response rate, like in terms of people that ended up showing up at the wedding. And so we had this block of rooms rented in this little cove on uh, St. Thomas. And we pr- kind of took the whole thing over for ourselves. And the wedding was on the beach. Uh, shoes were not allowed for the wedding or the reception. The reception was in this open air spot there was a a whole roasted uh spit roasted pig that had the apple oh, in its mouth it was like a meal. and it was it was a rager it was a fun time like it was one of the best parties i've ever been a part of much less gotten to host everybody was yeah. having fun um everybody <laughs> i don't say this jealous jealously at all just pointing just recognizing how much fun everybody else had like Justine and I probably had the least fun out of everyone because everyone just went balls to the wall. Like people were at various points with jobs and whatnot and were stressed out and just completely let loose for those three <laughs> days. And they're away. I mean, I mean, I know it's U.S. Virgin Islands, but you feel like you're like out of the country. A hundred percent. Yeah, you feel feel like you're not on planet Earth. And people ended up in the water at one point near the <laughs> end of the reception and. Yeah, it was a wild time. We got a lot of good pictures to show for it. Unfortunately, the stinking island videographer slash photographer that we hired, um, he sent us a like a DVD of the video that he had taken, and the DVD was corrupted. And we didn't get around to watching the DVD though after we got it until like I don't know six months later or something. Bored one night, and then, and then you couldn't get in touch with them after. Well, we got in touch with him and he's like, oh, I don't keep copies of anything. It's like, God damn it, dude. Like he already wasn't doing a great job. Like the pictures <laughs> he gave us, there's like bullshit in the background of some of like the official uh, bridal pictures. It's like, if you had just taken the picture this to the right, just a little bit, you wouldn't have had this junky looking bullshit in the background. Yeah. Uh, that's island photography for you. So we just probably needed to accept that uh, something wasn't going to be right with that. And then like the the woman who was who ran the resort, there were a couple things she screwed up too. But the reason why we did the uh, the island wedding is so that we just didn't have to sweat too much stuff. And so in the end, that meant a few things falling through the crack, but ultimately it's not that big of a deal. Like the, the fun time that was had trumped any negativity about that three to four days. So I was going to ask you if you had what your one biggest piece of advice, because I'll tell you before you answer what I've, the most common thing I've gotten so far. I mean, the classic, probably the most common thing is the classic, just take some time to enjoy it. Like, it, you know, cause it can be stressful, just the planning and the lead up and all that stuff, which now we're starting to feel better. Cause things are just, things are just taken care of, you know, it's time to just 
time to just go do the dang thing and have a good time now. But the one biggest piece of advice that I didn't even think of that like seven people have told me is make sure you eat. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I oh, guess it's because okay, yeah. maybe you guys, since it was destination, maybe you guys had fewer people, but other people that have done, like we have friends that have gotten married in Austin and there were a decent amount of people there. And it's just like so many people coming up to you and, you know, obviously giving congratulations and talking to you and all that. And one of my buddies was like, yeah, I just totally forgot to eat. And then obviously you're drinking a ton and then you kind of finish all the like speeches and dance, you know, and then dancing starts and then it's, and then it's, it's, it's off from there, you know? And it's like, well, if you don't eat, then you're already going to be hammered and you're going to feel sick. It's great <laughs> advice. And a person who should have heard that advice prior to our first night in St. Thomas would be Justine, my lovely wife who uh, decided to just go, go in with the people who are already there and start matching them drink for drink, shot for shot <laughs> may have been a little something toked and she doesn't ever do that. And she had a rough go of it to where she was just completely hung over the next day, like not a drop to drink and everybody else was enjoying themselves that next day. And she was just with sunglasses the entire time with oh. a, a lot of regret. And so she did make sure to eat and also pace herself a little bit better for our wedding night too. So that is good advice. Um, I, I don't really have wedding advice other than just, just enjoy them. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Like I see that DJ saying, don't go broke for a wedding. That's probably pretty good advice too. I mean, it is just, it is just a moment in time. And while it can be fun, you don't, you don't need to go super extravagant with, with it. Like, to what we're you and I are talking about with not sweating the stupid stuff. Like who yeah. cares about the centerpieces on the tables? Like really that nobody's going to remember that in 10 years. And if they do, you spent way too much money on it and it distracts from just the good time. That's hopefully be ha uh, been being having uh, being had by all, excuse me, as far as like general marriage advice though, the best advice that I got was from my granddad, who is one of the closest people to me. And it is uh, throughout the marriage, you're going to have opportunities to, to make decisions and represent yourself. Just avoid embarrassing yourself and avoid embarrassing your family, too. And there are obvious ways that you can do that and less obvious ways that you can do that. And, uh, he, you know, he he walked that because he did the opposite of embarrassing his family when uh, my grandmother was still around. He had five kids and 16 or so grandkids. I forget what that final count was and <laughs> was a true patriarch of the family. So yeah, yeah. just uh, avoid embarrassing your family, which I think you'll do a good job of. Yeah. Hopefully I've done a decent job of that so far, you know, living in, uh, living in sin technically, but you know, <laughs> You know, you, you know, it's smart to test drive a car before you, uh, yep. before you buy it, you know? And I always say biggest thing was given our, our situation, she needed to test drive dealing with this, you know? Oh, I was talking about her. Yeah. You, yeah. You <laughs> yeah. I was smart. Now, and one, one other thing on that, that BK and I were texting about, uh, I said, I, I was telling everybody, I, I knew I got a keeper because she literally let me plan it around. I mean, first it was like, we're not doing this during football season. Like, that's just, sorry, like job wise. And also just, I just love football too much. I mean, obviously I love her more, but you know, football season is it's sacred time, Trey. Yeah. So she let me do it in, not that I knew Texas was going to go to the playoff, but how perfectly did we time that like a week and a half after the big, or basically two weeks after the big 12 championship, 
and then two weeks before the college football playoff semifinal. Yeah. Got a keeper there. Is she going with you to New Orleans? She's going to meet me for, I mean, we're going, we'll be doing stuff at the station for about a week. Like okay. We leave the day after Christmas and then we come back the day after the game. Oh, so wow. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday to Tuesday. So I think she's going to meet me there in the middle of that, like maybe Thursday to Sunday or something. Kind of get, you know, I mean, I'll obviously be working, but that's a cool enough city and I, to where she can go hop out and find stuff to do during the day. And then we can go get dinner and obviously do what people do in New Orleans at night and booze and have a good time. Before New Year's Eve? What's that? Is she leaving before New Year's Eve? I can't remember exactly how we how we did it. Or how she's leaving Sunday. She's leaving on New Year's Eve. Yeah. She, she needs to stay till Monday. <laughs> well, we can't, we can't get her ticket to the game. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, no, I, I have seen that. And unfortunately, my family has season tickets. We're part of that group that was uh, left in the lurch. So I have a decision to make of either finding some place to watch the game on television in New Orleans, pay out the wazoo for a ticket, or just not go at all. Oh, I, so I got a great uh, – DJ said, don't go broke for a wedding. I got a great, great follow-up to that. But do you go broke for the CFP? Because that's that's what a lot of us have to do to get a ticket to that game. I mean, I'm, thankfully, I got a press pass for it. But, I mean, man, those prices are insane. Yeah. I I don't have a good answer for you other than to say – he said my guy said hell no (laughs) (laughs) this is a man i that's a man of practicality right there you were at the game in 20 early 2019 right yeah so it is i have no idea what tickets cost for that game we got tickets for that we submitted for the season tickets and i actually got two tickets and it was one of the most unique coolest environments that i've ever watched a football game in and like part of me wants to wish I would have saved some of that 7,000 that uh, I won on the Rangers, but unfortunately that's uh, that's all accounted for now. <laughs> Should have had more foresight there. Uh, but if Texas wins, it's going to be so cool and so much fun. Yeah. And, you know, as fun as the national championship game would be at NRG, like that stadium is all right. It's not the Superdome. Dude, and just the uniqueness of that environment. There's just how fired up Texas fans are going to be and how it's going to be a Texas-heavy crowd, and it's like everybody's going to have spent the entire day in New Orleans, so it's going to be a little bit of a lubed-up crowd, too. And just I, I don't the, know. It's not, it's not as cut-and-dry a decision as it probably should be for me, considering the – like, it's 550 bucks just for the worst nosebleed ticket right now. Yeah, but the the significance of it – is really really high like i mean it's not a very eloquent way of putting that but there it's an extremely significant moment i feel like you know and a lot i mean even our great uh listeners and viewers that are commenting i mean you can tell i feel like you can tell how much it means to everybody just that texas i mean i texas is back i hate that but like you know texas is back here like texas is back in this spot and I don't think obviously they you know they haven't been to the CFP semifinal, but this is what this must be what it felt like in in 09. And obviously I was I was paying attention to Texas, but I wasn't necessarily a part of it or in, I wasn't a part of the community like I am now with it. And to see what it means to so many people for them to be back in this position is has been pretty cool. Like I think going to the 
going to the Big 12 championship, I realized I kind of caught a whiff of like, man, this is a really big deal. Because obviously we covered the Big 12 championship game when it was Sam and Kyler before that, before the other time they went to the Sugar Bowl when they lost it and then got in because OU was in the playoff. But this, this just felt different, man. I mean, you asked me about it last week. That environment there and how just juiced up everybody was for that game. Like, I remember I'm always turning around after touchdowns or big moments to get fan cutaways, and I got some of the best stuff I've ever gotten in the stands. Like, people mm. all ages just absolutely losing it and having the time of their lives. And to me, that's what makes this job so much fun is you, you want to cover good teams and you want to cover moments that are significant to the people that, you know, consume our content, whether it's you guys here or, you know, what we do at the station or what – you know, the guys for the Statesman and Chip at Horns 24-7 are on three friends inside Texas. Like, I mean, that's this is what we do it for is just to cover and be part of massive moments like this and bring those moments to to the people that care about them the most. Very All true. right, off the soapbox. Cooter says, pay it. Paid 3500 for two bleacher tickets for Game 3 of the World Series at Wrigley. So Cooter is in the pay for it. Yeah, I mean, look, you sometimes you have to pay a heavy price for yeah, – This is the best uh, money ever spent. For the memory <laughs> – well, initially Justine was going to go with me and we're still having that conversation, but now the tickets are so expensive. She's like, I refuse. She's like, I, I root for this football team, but I am completely fine watching this game at home, but I need yeah. to have one for work most likely because I want to be a part of the TSU crew that is in new Orleans. And so at that point it's just one ticket. So that cuts the cost in half, if not a little bit more, because sometimes singles, uh, they, they will go for less because people know that, uh, that, that you're usually looking for two plus tickets. Or I, I don't decision to make given how big this game is. I don't know if it'll play out this way, but I went to, I think, yeah, I think it was the first ever college football playoff semifinal game. I was back home in Pasadena and I walked down by the Rose bowl. Cause that's kind of my historic game for me. I grew up in Pasadena, big SC fan, you know, that was my – and SC was going to the Rose Bowl every year if they weren't going to a bigger game. Yeah. So my dad, that was basically our Christmas present. Like some of my greatest memories are, you know, going to the Rose Bowl with him, whether it was when they were playing Michigan or when they played Texas in the national championship, just being in the stadium for those moments. But I went down and I scalped a ticket for – it was Florida State and Oregon, I think, in the very first college football playoff game. And I want to say that was – 2015 new year's day 2015 but the 14 season and i think i scalped something like five minutes into the first quarter for like 70 bucks off a guy I actually have the ticket in the other room but <laughs> i don't know how that works now with with what this game means to texas and washington fans both so um i mean obviously you would have thought it would have meant a lot to florida state and oregon but i, I have no i have no clue what scalping is like these days with everything being so digital. Cause I got, like I have the hard copy ticket where it's in the sleeve and all that. I think that this is a perfect storm of conditions that is going to maximize the price of these tickets with it being Texas, making it to the playoff for the first time in school history, the 14 playoff. This just being a fun team to watch that fans are really behind now a lot of people thought that they had a chance to get tickets whenever the matchups were announced and where each game would be. And so travel plans were made before tickets were actually secured. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I think those things have people willing to pay even more of a premium like they already have with airfare, like they probably are if they're paying for the jacked up price for hotel rooms because of the demand, because it's New Year's Eve in New Orleans and wanting to cheer this team on to victory if you're already going to be out there. So it's just like bite the bullet one more time. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the... (laughs) I mean, the, the value of anything is what people will pay for it. I guess if yeah. in the most simple economic terms coming from a communications major here. So you know, take, take that, take that for what it's worth. Well, if we want to go really deep with somebody else who has no business talking uh, money or finances or value, like what value does money have? Money has the value that we're told it does. Like, well, cap- and right. Or whatever value you place on it. Like we've had two people we've had, we had a, on, what I said, do you go broke paying for a ticket to this game? We had a hell no, and we had a hell yes. I think we had another, and then we had another yes too. So, yeah, you know, it's a big, it's a big, big deal to a lot of people. And I think the, you know, maybe with with Texas fans too, it's a lot of who knows. I mean, look, you would like to think that they're gonna take this and run with it and the program's only going to get better and it's a 12 team playoff moving forward. So you would think that Texas is going to be in a lot more playoff matchups moving forward. But then also Texas fans, I think can sit here and say, nothing's guaranteed because you probably thought that in 2009, you know, and here we are, what, 15 years later now saying, or 14 years later, essentially finally back in this spot. And even Jake, you know, Jake was like, it does Jake's comment. He's like, I was 12 in 09. So it actually does mean a lot. You know, and for everybody else, or everybody else has a different reason for why it's extremely significant to them, or I don't know, maybe it's not for whatever reason. It'd be completely prisoner of the moment. It means a lot because it's a, a really fun season. Even if you have amnesia about the, you know, t- 13 most recent seasons since that last national championship game appearance. Like, I don't fault anybody for how excited they are about this football no. team right now and their willingness to jump through different hoops to try and be there in person to enjoy it. And boy, I, I am thinking a lot about this matchup each and every day. And I go back and forth on whether Texas wins this game or not. Today is an optimistic day for me, Jeff. I think that this Texas defense, they know when they need to step it up on top of this team, just playing complete football right now, as they have over the last couple of games, Texas defense knows they need to be really good because this Washington offense is good. And I think that as a result, we see everyone from Tavondre Sweat to Anthony Hill to Taft, Jaron Thompson. Yes, I'm mentioning the safety's names to those linebackers, um, Jalen Ford especially, to the guys who are out on the islands, Terrence Brooks, Muhammad, Gavin Holmes, Ryan Watts being back. Well, and having a month, having a month to get Watts back. Say that again. Oh, sorry. I was saying I'm having a month to get Watts back. I think is massive. Definitely. Because we saw when he didn't play in the OU game, the one loss. I mean, I'm not saying if he plays, they necessarily win that game. But, I mean, he's he's been huge on the outside there. Not Again, I don't know if he's a lockdown first-round corner, but he's the surest thing right now that you have out there on, on the outside if you're putting a guy on an island. I almost wonder if Muhammad is better. But to your point, Ryan Watts, his physicality will be, will be valued in this game because Washington has big-bodied receivers And so to knock them off their routes in that first second or two will be key in helping this Texas defense to get to Penix. If Penix doesn't have that first read available to him and he's having to hold on to the ball for a split second longer, 
Uh, you never know what happens at that point. And uh, this Texas defense, when they've needed to, have gotten good pressure at times this season. And that's going to be extremely important uh, with this matchup as well. Well, and I think you mentioned you mentioned Muhammad. I think the you know the big thing with him is at this point. I mean, I don't know what point that during the season you know you would start to say these guys aren't freshmen anymore. Like obviously they still are, but I think the way he played against Oklahoma state in that game. I mean, he had some, they obviously let up some plays, but he had some big plays in that game too. Some really, some, I thought growth moments and coverage there, just going back and looking at it later where you were like, man, that was a play where he looked fast. He looked physical and he looked like he trusted what he saw. And I think I, with freshmen, I, I always kind of go back to what I said, what I said earlier in the season about CJ Baxter. And it's just where, there's a certain moment sometimes where you see it click for a super talented freshman who, you know, gets on the field before a lot of these guys do, because a lot of guys that maybe aren't as talented as a, as a Manny Muhammad or a CJ Baxter, they're not even going to get on the field as a true freshman. And there's not going to be as much expectation on them. But for both of those guys, I think there's a few specific moments, definitely for Baxter, where you can look at it and go, man, these guys looked like it looked like it clicked in that game. He didn't look like a freshman anymore. I think for Baxter, it was probably a combination of finally trusting what he saw, what he was seeing vision wise on the field and adjusting to the speed of the game and, and all that. And then two, getting healthy finally. But yeah, both those guys, I think it's, you know, there's just moments like that where you go, yeah, like that dude looks, dude looks like a player now. Like we knew there was potential there and it looks like he's finally starting to, to figure it out, which is a great sign for Texas. But I think Watts right now, you would say, if you just had one game, Muhammad versus Watts and both guys obviously will play Brooks is going to play like they don't have a ton of depth in the secondary all those able body guys that have played all season they're they're going to get some run guarding three NFL receivers and you know the Heisman runner up so um, I just think right now Watts gives you the better chance in just one single game but Muhammad over the course of his career will I think undoubtedly end up being the better more productive player for Texas but Watts so. is, he's had a sneaky good career here he has, yeah. No, he's been a great get for this coaching staff prior to last season. Getting him to transfer from Ohio State has been huge. He started a lot of games for this team in that time and been a steadying influence in a secondary that really struggled with consistency for a better part of a decade. It's slowly getting better. There's still issues there at times, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast with football, too. I mean, Secondary and, guys get beat. The best secondary guys get beat at times. And and corner. I mean, you know, you play corner, you're or even safety if you're matched up one-on-one in coverage like that, you're gonna get beat. It happens sometimes. Uh last night I, I ended up fell asleep, so I didn't catch all of it. But I watched the 30 for 30 that ESPN did on the 1997 season and the Heisman Award, the race for the Heisman. And they I got to the the game where the Ohio Michigan Ohio State game where Woodson just went crazy. Like he had a punt return touchdown, caught a couple passes on offense, locked down David Boston on defense. And, you know, they even show a play too where it's like he got beat. Like he got beat by he got beat by David Boston for a touchdown. It's like it happens to the best guys. And yeah. that's why it's it's the it's the goldfish, whatever you want to call it, the short-term memory. You got to just wipe it and let it go. You got to make the next play. Because when you're matched up on an island like that, I mean, can you imagine? like these Washington corners that are going to have to guard Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell and Jordan Whittington and guard, you know, the linebackers that might get matched up in a mismatch on the outside with these running backs. Like guys are going to make plays in this game. I think this is going to be 
I think this game is going to be an unbelievable display of skill position talent on both sides. And if it's a, if it's a 38 to 34 game, either way, I don't think that's, I don't think it's going to be an indictment on the defense more than it's going to be us looking at it going, we're, we're watching generational skill players. Like we're watching Sunday players right now, NFL players go at it. And I mean, cause if you think about it, there's probably, I mean, not probably there's five, there are five definite NFL receivers in this game. Obviously the three guys on Washington and then Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell. Yeah. And if you want to throw, well, I think Jordan Whittington, I mean, he's not going to, he may not get drafted. Jordan Whittington is going to play in the NFL. JT Sanders is obviously going to play in the NFL. I think that uh, there are running backs on each side who will likely be getting carries in the NFL too. Like it's a very sturdy branch to go out on right now and say that Texas Washington is going to be the way more entertaining game between the two semifinal games. Not to say that Alabama, Michigan, won't be close because I think it will be, but I don't think it's going to have the fireworks that Texas and Washington will. And that's very fitting in the venue that they're going to be playing in as well with all, all of the, uh, the novelty surrounding just being in new Orleans or that game itself. Trey, this, this may, this may, this is probably so random, but when you mentioned the draft stock of those guys, anytime I'm watching the NFL, and I see a guy make a hustle play on a punt to like down a punt at the two yard line or any sort of hustle play on special teams. I'm immediately like, if this dude can do that, this random dude that played at Kennesaw state or whatever, like Jordan Whittington can have a long NFL career doing that. And I don't want to take anything away from him because I think if the guy's put in the right spot, he could probably play, probably play receiver in the NFL, but there are roles and careers and wealth to be carved out of, to be Frank in the NFL, if you are a team first guy, an unselfish, an unselfish player, and um, also have the athleticism and and attitude that Jordan Whittington has, and there's tons of other guys on this Texas team that have that too. But for some reason, I just always think of that I'm like Jordan because he's one of those guys where you go back and forth. You're like, is he an NFL receiver? Like, he has the talent. Like, I don't know. It's just you know things. He's not a he's not a slam dunk like a Worthy and a Mitchell where you know he's going to get an opportunity to do that. But I see those special teams plays and I immediately go, Jordan Whittington's an NFL player if he wants to be. If he can stay healthy, which he's obviously done a really good job over these last two years, if he can stay healthy, I think that there is no question he gets to that pension. And I think he does become a productive NFL wide receiver too. Kind of like how you've seen signs of that with LJ Humphrey. Yeah. Over the last few years, the Patriots last year with the Broncos this year, saw a little bit with the Saints the year before that too. I think that something similar like that happens with Whittington with maybe a little bit more of a special teams emphasis early on. Devin Duvernay is a perfect example of that too. Sure. I mean, he's you know retur- he's the Ravens punt returner. He gets a little run, little run at receiver. And Jake said Belichick and Brady would turn him into a Pro Bowler a couple of years ago. Well, it's funny, funny he says that because. Um, with uh, I mean, I think they're still doing that now. I've blanked, but Brendan Schooler is a guy mm-hmm. that I think I immediately think of when, when I when I watch the Patriots. I'm like, Brendan Schooler's in the NFL. Like he's gonna play ten years or more in the NFL with the plays I, that he makes for that team. I'm not trying to take shots at Brendan Schooler, but Brendan Schooler making the Patriots coincide with Bill Belichick not being as good of a fucking coach. I think he got a little bit full of himself in some of these decisions that he made. Yeah, but he's making huge special teams plays. He wasn't. Yes, he makes good special teams plays, but Brendan Schooler was an okay player at Texas. 
Oh yeah, no, no doubt about that. Great NFL player. Maybe Bill Belichick is taking too many chances with guys like that. Maybe he's too in love with the white guy with long hair at this point in his career. And maybe this is just proof that I'm that I am getting old. Like I said earlier, Trey, we're just is turning into a you know get off my lawn show where I'm just like special teams. Oh, carving out a career. I'm getting old, dude. I'll tell you has a good game. I'll tell you has a, who has a pretty game. That deep snapper. That deep snapper knows exactly what he's doing, Jeff. Uh, no, uh, switching gears back to your wedding. Uh, speaking of getting old, CB asks a very important question. Is Bob Baloo singing at your wedding? Oh, my gosh. Bob, like, it's too late now. We should have had a karaoke aspect of the wedding because no one – I don't want to give away too much of the, of the trade secrets here. But Bob Baloo can sing some damn karaoke. Really? Yes. And you know what, okay. Trey? We we may need to all experience that together in the fine city of New Orleans. I would be game for that. I had I don't, wanna, I don't want to give away the songs that he sings and all that, but it's it's fantastic. He's an absolute showman with it, and it's it's a blast. That just jogged my memory. I had an opportunity at Ranger Spring Training a few years ago when we all went as guests of the Round Rock Express. And so you know. No, I ended up turning in for the night. I was tired. Oh. I was old guy with really young kids at that point in time. So I'm like, I just want an unimpeded night of sleep. And so BK, Bob, I forget who all went out, but people went out and apparently there was karaoke to be had. Well, if, B- if BK is listening right now, he can he can hop in and and give us a, a review and a rating of, of Bob Baloo's karaoke because it's it's pretty fantastic. If not, which it looks like he's not, then we may just have to ask at five o'clock when he turns the stream off. That needs to be the last <laughs> thing that we talk about with today's show is uh, Bob Baloo's karaoke skills. So to, to answer CB's question right now, the, there is no plan for that. But you know what? If it happens, I'm going to go with the flow. He's probably going to invoice me for it because it's going to be awesome, but it'll be, uh, it'll be worth every penny. <laughs> y'all go DJ or live band? DJ. Yeah. I mean, okay, cause we're, cool. the, the DJ, cause he'll have a microphone. So the DJ can just play an instrumental and Bob can get up there and, and that can be his wedding gift to y'all. So that's what we, and I know I've been, I've been to um, weddings where they have a live band and that's awesome too. I actually went, went to one, my cousin got married in Colorado Springs this summer and they had a live band. Total blast. I mean, they were talk about talented. That band was awesome. Really good time. But for us, I think it was more of like, we're more into like, we want this to, how do I phrase this? Like we want to rage, you know? And it's not that you're not raging with a live band, but like we listen to probably a lot of rap music and, um, you know, I mean, a live band could, like I said, really talented. They could play a bunch of that stuff. But I think with a DJ, it's easier to just sort of totally shift in and out of stuff. And also the the guy that we got who we've met with a couple of times seems like a really cool dude. Like he'll he'll be, you know, MC almost too. Like kind of keeping the party going and and all that. So that's that's the main reason we went with DJ. Probably a longer you answer have, than you wanted for that. Did but. you have any requests, any songs that you definitely wanted him to play? Because there are a couple of songs that come to mind for me that I always enjoy at weddings and that I told our DJ to play. I I let Jasmine handle more of that. Okay. I will say the one thing I wanted that I'm excited to see how this turns out is because we have so many Texas people from her side and my side now too, have lived here a while, but 
but then all my California guys who they, they get down and get after it at weddings. Like a couple of my buddies have gotten married and we've all had, it's been a really good time. I wanted the DJ at some point towards the end of the night to do, to like split the dance floor, Texas and California people hmm. and play like, uh, I can't remember which one we picked. It's the one that they played the Texas song that they, somebody in the comments probably knows the name of the rapper. Um, they played before like all the basketball games and the football games and then for the California one, it's going to be California love, but basically we're just going to split it and do like, I, I'm envisioning like some sort of dance off or whatever, like something just to break up the basic dancing and, you know, pin California versus Texas. Is it, like UG, is it UGK or something that you're thinking of? No, I got a, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look at, I'll look in a second. DJ screw maybe sipping on some scissor. No, it's like, it's like this, it's that new song. Okay, that I definitely won't know what that is then, unless it's Taylor Swift. Fat Pat, oh yeah, twenty five lighters on the dresser. Yes, sir. Oh, big Big X, Big X, the plug. Big X, the <laughs> plug. You just, saying, make, you just put a bunch of words <laughs> together. Is that really what it is? I think that's what it is. So yeah, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I can't say one. Well, I guess I could say one of the words. He says. Uh, he, the song is like, bitch, I'm from Texas. And then it, you've heard it at UT basketball games and football games. Oh, man, I want to play it, but I don't want to yeah. violate any copyright rules. For I, you too. Yeah, someone I'm waiting for somebody in the comments to confirm this for me. So is it going to be like a guys and dolls situation here where when Tupac is playing that all the Californians are going to be dancing? And when whenever who is it? Little Boo Boo X? <laughs> what did you say? We'll just we'll just call we'll we'll, uh, we'll just call him that, but you know, but yeah, it'll be like it'll be that, and we'll do that real quick, and then everyone will just like start raging again. I mean, I'm doing it at the point in the night where everyone's gonna be pretty pretty drunk, so. pretty sloshed. Nice. Yeah. I always get out there. I, I don't get out for many songs. I the wife doesn't uh, enjoy that, but there's some stereotypical guy like that. I don't get out on the dance floor enough during weddings, but. When shout comes on, I'll get out there for shout. Okay. And if the chubby checker twist gets played, which isn't as common as shout at this point, I'll get out there for the twist because I like to twist to every song. So I definitely have to twist to the song that that dance was made up for. And then assorted other songs too. Like if there's really good old school hip hop, I might get out for that. So we, we put a lot of like, I guess it would just be like 2000s hip hop in there. Like that's kind of just kind of your classic stuff. And then Jasmine had a few things on the on the don't playlist. Big so X the plug. Oh, that's the yeah. name of the artist. I thought that yeah. was the song. No, 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 no. Sorry. That I thought you, yeah, Big X is the name of the artist and the plug was the name of the song. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, the song is literally just called Texas. And so that's why I was like, we want to split, we want to split it and it'll just be like, yeah, then te the Texas people go crazy for a minute. And then it's like now here for my California people, you know, or whatever. I don't know. It might end up being the lamest thing in the world, but I think we'll all be, we'll all be feeling pretty good at that point. Have a, you know, have a good time with it and then keep going. I think it just depends on if everybody knows the song. If everybody's an old ass like me, who doesn't oh, know no. about the song, then it's an issue. No people. Well, first of all, everyone knows California love. Everybody knows that one, but yeah. this uh, big butt plug Texas song. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we'll hey, we'll find out. I'll, I'll have to report back next week. Okay, so you're a Dodgers fan. 
and your team shocking the baseball world, I guess, after the uh, Blue Jays reports that had surfaced just prior, ends up signing a 10-year, $700 million year to hit and eventually pitch for the Dodgers. First of all, congratulations. He is one of the most exciting baseball players in modern times, maybe of all times, too, just considering uh, what he is able to do both at the plate and on the mound. Does it bother you that you just spent $700 million on this guy? And uh, what does this do for your expectations with this team going forward? I mean, we're, we're going to pay a lot for Dodger dogs. Like we're all, we're all going to be the ones that end up paying for this dude's salary with parking and all, all that stuff. And obviously not, not totally the case, but I am going to laugh when like a Dodger dog now costs $20 the next time I go to a game and you're yeah. like, yeah, okay. It makes sense. Yeah. I got to pay for this dude somehow. But did you see how they're deferring the salary out so that they no. can sign more guys. And I don't, I don't know enough about the baseball, like luxury tax and all that stuff, but apparently it was, it was a historically structured contract in terms of the, the deferrals, because I think Shohei's biggest thing right now is I don't want to say he wanted to stay with the angels. I don't think he, but I don't think he like wanted to move, but I think it got to the point where you're like the writing's on the wall. He, he wants yeah. to win. And of course the Dodgers have had their struggles, but man, they won the division, something crazy, like 14 of the last 15 years or something like that, that I think their playoff, their playoff streaks got to be approaching 20 years. Um, so I think he knows that I'm going to go here. I'm not going to have to move necessarily. And I'm going to get a historic contract. And, and I mean, the Dodgers are obviously an iconic, iconic brand. I thought the blue Jays thing was, I mean, in the end, was that just a, I, I'm, I would love to know at some point how truly tempted he was by going to Toronto, because I see what people are saying, you know, Rogers, the Rogers company or whatever, it's a media company in Canada that owns, that owns the team. And there was the part of going and essentially owning another country and still playing major league baseball. And I don't, I don't think the dude really needs to worry that much about his international marketing brand. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how much this had been brought up around the speculation that he was going to Toronto, but one reason why it made sense to me, Jeff, is because there is a huge um, there is a huge Japanese influence on Toronto. Okay, a pretty large Japanese population, and I don't know if you call it a Japan town or what, but like. Japanese culture is infused into Toronto. And so from that standpoint, it's like maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable there or that helps him feel a little bit more comfortable on top of whatever money they're willing to give him and dominating another market. But ultimately I wanted him to see, I wanted to see him go someplace where he would actually get to compete in the postseason. Yeah. Like the angels now have a history of squandering the talents of, Two of the most talented players of the last, what, like 30 to 40 years? I mean, to have Mike Mike Trout. Trout, Yeah, how many years has Mike Trout made the playoffs? And they had Trout, and I realize Trout has been hurt these last few years. But Trout and Otani together, and you're still not sniffing the playoffs. It's pathetic. No, they're not even coming close. I think that's – and they've they've done everything from Joe Madden at manager to – I mean, they also signed Anthony Rendon, and like they've gone out and made every move, and – it's one of those things, kind of like to our college football conversations that we've had about culture. I think that 
that has to, to me, go back to the culture of the organization because how do you have that much talent? And it doesn't matter who you make the manager. You don't ever even make the playoffs. And I know that's been a tough division over the years, but there's been teams that have made, like the AL East is a really good division every year. The Yankees have made it a bunch of times. The Rays have made it a bunch of times. Like, you know, the Sox, not necessarily recently, haven't been great, but they've made it. So I, I just, I find it interesting that, or all, honestly maddening in a way when you just as a fan of baseball, I'm not an angels fan, but just wanting to see the best players play on the biggest stages. Like you almost never see this in the NBA. Yeah. There's sometimes where, Hey, a really exciting player plays on a team that's really bad. And then eventually they get out of Dodge and basketball is a game where, you know, you throw a couple generational players or, I mean, I don't know, once in every decade type players on a team, and you're at least going to make the playoffs. <laughs> For the most part, 90% of the best NBA players are playing in the postseason every year. And it seems like with baseball, a lot of times that's not the case. So hopefully hopefully Shohei can get us over the top now. I'm, I'm, I'm tired, Trey, of having to latch on to a COVID title when they won 20 games that was played at Globe Life Field. And it's just – it's just like, yeah, like I celebrated the World Series. I look at it as not an asterisk, asterisk World Series, but, you know, because everybody, to me, the way I say to people whenever they talk shit is, well, your team showed up and tried to win it too. So if it really didn't matter, then why'd everybody else show up and try to win it? But then I also understand the other side of it. Like, yeah, we want to stay healthy for 162 games and win the World Series like the Rangers did this year, like the Astros did the year before that. <laughs> Yeah, you got to wear two of those in that coat in 2020 because the Lakers didn't they win in the uh, the bubble too? Yeah. Hmm. Well, as you said at the start of today's show, at least you have that in season tournament championship to lean on. Now, I saw that they were given medals by kids, so they're borrowing from soccer in that regard. Do you well, hang borrowed the whole thing from soccer? Yeah. Well, that's true too. Do yeah. you hang a banner for the in season tournament? Like, are they hanging a banner at the Staples Center? Oh, dude, I hope not. I sure do. I hope not, too, because you're the yeah. fucking L.A. Lakers. It's one thing if you're, I don't know, pick a team that's never won a championship before. The Oklahoma Magic. City or something. Yeah. But dude, you're the Lakers. Like, I know a Celtics fan's going to pop off in the comments when I say this because they have, what, I guess the same amount of championships as the Lakers now. It's even. Dude, it's it's the single most iconic franchise in basketball. Like it's the most, it's the most iconic franchise in basketball. You cannot hang a freaking in season tournament banner. And I wonder, you know, obviously there was a, a financial incentive for these guys. I wonder what conversations were had with LeBron behind the scenes, because man, that dude set his mind to this. Like he, he was all in, he was invested in winning this, winning this tournament championship cup, whatever you want to call it. LeBron was all in. I would love to have been a fly on the wall for conversations between LeBron and Adam Silver. If it was just a Adam Silver telling LeBron, dude, if this is going to get off the ground, like not saying like you're, you're, you're going to win it for sure. But Hey dude, we need you to be invested in this because if you win this, it's going to get talked about so much more than if it's thunder pacers. Like Trey, we would not be talking about this if it was, Thunder Pacers. Maybe we'd be going, oh, to Tyrese Halliburton's awesome. You know, like to me, there was something there. There had to have been conversations in there where Silver was just like, dude, please like champion this. 
literally yeah. in this case. How much more did you find yourself caring about games over the last however many weeks this tournament was going on? So to me, that's that's been the biggest positive in all this is I watched, not that I wouldn't have watched Lakers basketball, but I mean, I, I'm i typically like, let, let's just put it this way. The championship game started, I think, at the same time as the Heisman. And I am a like religious viewer of the Heisman. It's just, I don't know, I just grew up watching it. I love the stories. I love seeing these guys' families and coaches. I love the interviews. Like I'm just a total sap for, you know, the the stories of how these guys got there and listening to the speeches and the parents tearing up and all that. Like I watched, I just like fl- I flipped over and was like, I also listened to Jaden Daniels' speech, and then I, I had the Laker game on the rest of the time. Hmm. Where there's no chance, there is no chance in hell if the Lakers were just playing the Pacers on a regular game that I would have been intrigued enough to watch that over the Heisman. So, I mean, I don't know. That just puts it into perspective for me. And also, yeah, I watched the Pelicans game. Who knows if I would have watched the Pelicans game on Thursday that night. Um, I was a little confused, I think, like a lot of people, about the play-in game or the quarterfinal games and the group play and all that stuff kind of confused me. But at least there was another layer to it. And maybe it was just because it was brand new. But there was another layer where you sit and go, okay, like, you know, I this is different. Like I'm going to at least tap in to see what this is. Is that, is that how you, you felt yourself finding as not being a fan of really any of the teams in it? What's that? I'm saying, is that how you found yourself watching it or consuming it as somebody who's, you know, not a Lakers fan in this case? No, I did not watch a second of the end season huh. tournament. I, I guess you and I haven't talked about this before. Uh, I swore off the NBA in 2006, the heat Mav series where the NBA very clearly, skewed things to allow Dwayne Wade's Miami Heat team to win that championship. That was it for me. But I had also watched a half decade of the league really manipulating outcomes. And a lot of this came out with Tim Donahue where he talked about Lakers-Kings in 2001. And there was a pretty glaring example. I want to say it was 2005 where the Mavericks were the beneficiary over the Houston Rockets. I'm like, I can't do this. The sport is a step above WWF. (laughs) <laughs> but at least WWF admits what it is. Like, I'm out. That's it for me. And it's maybe a bit of a shame because I couldn't enjoy that Mavs win against the Heat in 2011 or whenever that was. And the NBA has some cool moments from time to time. And I, I will tune in very occasionally during the playoffs. But something that is as th- synthetic as the in-season tournament, like, I no, I'm sorry. You're not going to convince me that NBA basketball in late November and December is any more than, than what it actually is. And that's early regular season basketball. Yeah. My, my only like broad rebuttal to the people that say like, like the, like, Oh, it's rigged or manipulated and all that. I mean, they're like, there's examples that you just gave that like the Tim Donahue stuff. And even as a diehard Lakers fan, like that series, it's yeah. It's hard to look at that series and be like the Kings didn't get, kind of screwed or or at least put yourself in the other team's shoes the other team's fan shoes and say hey if that was the lakers yeah i would have been really pissed about that but also like the nuggets won the championship last year like they're not a marquee brand i mean like i know Jokic is you know a, a euro from what serbia who doesn't really market himself and i mean i know he's kind of funny and all that but like the nuggets won last year the Toronto Raptors won like the Spurs from San Antonio have been a dynasty. 
So that's only my, my broad rebuttal to some of that stuff is like, there actually has been more small market success in the NBA than I think people want to give them credit for. I mean, Milwaukee won a championship two years ago. Yeah, but that gets back to, and, and I'm not saying that any of those things are rigged, by the way. I'm talking sure. about that period of time where I was the NBA guy for the zone. I was watching, I was consuming a lot of it. And beyond the most obvious examples that have been talked about with Donahue, and by the way, that uh, Mavs Rocket Series, I don't know if he called that series out. I remember calling that out on the air at the time as a Mavs fan, saying this is BS. Dallas is benefiting from way too many calls here. The series is skewed. But I just saw way too much of that, just generally speaking, from that era, which is why I was like, you know what? I'm completely done. So I hope they've cleaned that part of it up. And what you just listed suggests that they probably have. But the league is also not opposed to promoting the individual side of the game, which like with Milwaukee, obviously the Greek freak is one of the best players in the game. And Kawhi, the year that Toronto won it. And I did watch some of the games that year. I mean, the way that Kawhi was controlling the flow of the game was very Jordan-esque. Now he did it for a very small period of time and obviously hasn't been able to replicate that. But when he did it, it was dominant. Oh, it was completely dominant when he did it with Toronto, and he he did a degree of that with the Spurs, too, prior to that as well. I think where the NBA probably screws itself with maybe uh, having more say-so in the final outcome of things right now than anywhere else, like than, than the uh, actual outcomes of games themselves, is how they rig, rig the draft lottery sometimes. <laughs> like how Greg Popovich is all of a sudden coaching the most – generationally talented player since LeBron James. Yeah. And it makes complete sense as to why he would end up on San Antonio too. That's just the way the ping pong balls fell, Trey. Yeah, exactly. But the league's been messing with that since going back to what was it? The, what was the draft where Patrick Ewing gets taken by the Knicks? Cause they end up winning the draft lottery. And a lot of people then are like, wait a second, what's going on here? Uh, This guy ends up going to the Knicks, a big market team that you need to be better. And um, yeah, I mean, LeBron going to the, to the Cavaliers back when he came out of high school, there, there are examples to point to throughout the league's draft lottery history that I think uh, provide more evidence than, than any modern game. And I don't watch the games now, so I couldn't tell you just how manipulated they are, but it's, it's not as difficult as people would want to believe either. It's not, it's swallowing your whistle here or there are calling things slightly skewed one way or the other to where a team finds itself in the bonus when the other is not. So that team can essentially shoot free throws and have a point or two at any given time that the ref wants to give that opportunity. And it doesn't even take all the refs being in cahoots necessarily. It just has to do with one guy with a slightly skewed vantage point that can really affect the outcome of a game. This is not just a basketball thing, by the way. This could happen in baseball, theoretically, especially with a home plate umpire and how he's choosing to call balls and strikes. It can happen with Trey, go back to the Super Bowl. NFL refs. I mean, look, we called the end of the Super Bowl that probably by the letter of the law was a flag. Yeah. But it also very well could not have been called. And that's the thing, too, that I think in the NFL, you deal with. Yeah, there's a lot of subjectivity with calls and PI and, and you know, those kind of things. And, I mean, even roughing the passer, I think as much as we hate it, it, it has gotten – yeah, there's can be times where it, it's a little subjective on whether or not a guy – when a guy got there and, you know, right. these refs don't get to watch the replay in slow motion. But it's 
pretty clear. I think it's been made pretty clear now what they want a rough in the passer call to be and what certain hits they don't want. But PI can definitely be subjective in the NBA. It's almost all subjective. I mean, basically every call they make, right. There's sure. It's maybe kind of like PI, like there's certain things where you're like, yeah, I'm going up for a shot. And the guy pull my arm down. Like that's a foul at yeah. the YMCA. It's a foul, you know, on the, you know, outdoor courts in Brooklyn, New York. And it's a foul in the NBA and in college basketball, like whatever you want to call it. But there's also times where to your point of, I don't necessarily agree with, you know, that they have that much of an influence on games, but we all have watched games where you're like, they're, you know, this team plays physical, this team plays more finesse and they're now swallowing the whistle, which obviously is going to benefit the more physical team or the team that plays a big lineup and versus the team that likes to run and okay, well, the way to slow those teams down is to push them around a little bit, maybe. So I can see what I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. Um, I thought Jake Jake made a good point in the comments too about there's so many people that are fans of just players instead of just teams. Going back to what we were talking about of how well the NBA markets their stars, it's helped them popularity wise, I think, a lot. But that is one of the side effects too of if you don't live directly in one of these major cities and grow up you know, in LA, in Dallas, and you're going to games, you're watching these teams every night. Like for me, I've always been a fan of teams, but I've, I readily admit versus somebody who grew up in Austin, I've always had extremely obvious teams to root for. Like I grew up, my dad was like, we're Laker fans. You know, we go to Laker games. We are Dodger fans. We go to Dodger games. Like if you live in Austin or you live in other places in the country, you know, you, I think because of the way the NBA marketed these stars and made them mega stars, People just became LeBron fans, became KD fans, became, you know, whatever, fans of a certain player. And then also player mobility. We've seen way more of that. They're, you know, now for every for every Kobe, every Dirk, every guy who spent their entire careers with with one team, you know, there's a LeBron, there's a KD, there's a, you know, you name it. Go down the list of guys that have played, you know, generational players, Hall of Fame players that have played for two, three teams. Or more. <laughs> the NBA has a unique marketing tool that in a way almost gets overplayed. And that is the ability to market specific players that is going to be more recognizable than what you can do in any other sport, football included. That's not to say there aren't people that you would recognize walking around on the street that are football players right now. But the percentage of NBA stars that the average person would recognize versus even NFL stars. Oh yeah. Other than quarterbacks, it's, it's, it's a pretty wide gap. And so that's, that plays into this turnoff for a lot of people that the league is too individual driven and not team driven. And I understand why they do that. They try and strike that balance, but it's uh, not an exact process. And so some people are just automatically going to get turned off by that. For me, one of the other issues with basketball over time, really, I don't know when this started. I feel like it started about 10 years ago when advanced stats really found their way into basketball with the Daryl Morris of the world is that on top of things being called differently now, and I understand the NBA has had a problem calling traveling going back to the 1980s. And so that's still not getting called, but like even basic things that should be fouls, like over the back, over the back is not a foul anymore in basketball. And that's a problem for me because that's a fucking foul. 
Like you're saying that you're making for a less physical game, but you're allowing a guy to go over somebody else's back to get a rebound and make serious contact in the process. But the game itself, a lot of teams have tried to get rid of, and Shaka Smart did this with it, uh, did this at Texas, getting rid of the mid-range game because it's not as automatic a shot as something that's right around the basket, and it's not worth as many points as the shot that's just three or four feet back from where you are choosing to set up and take a jumper. And the I problem think is Shaka's that, teams couldn't shoot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's they had that one lucky run where they caught fire from three-point lands when he was at VCU, and that is still carrying to the, him to this day. And I'm not saying that at all as a Texas basketball fan who's bitter about Marquette blowing us out last week. But um, I think that that makes for a less entertaining game when it's all about threes and layups and dunks right around the basket. Like the the game is about a lot more of that. Like the Golden State Warriors have maintained a mid-range game this entire time while also being uh, very team-oriented on offense and running a great offense. You know, obviously Steve Kerr got a lot of that from being coached by Phil Jackson and being under Greg Popovich's tutelage for a long time too. So there's still examples that have more of a, it's not even an old school mentality, have a use the entire court mentality, but there are a lot of teams who have completely bought into the, the dunker three ideology with basketball too. And I think that uh, makes it a hard product to watch a lot of the time, especially when you're talking about 82 regular season games stretched out over almost six months, dude, six yeah. months. And then you get what two months of playoffs or two plus months of playoffs. That is a long time to follow any one thing. Think about all of our favorite sport. Our favorite sport is football. Football starts in September, October, November, December. The playoffs are in January. You get to early February. That is five months right there. And even that, as they have extended the regular season, last year the regular season felt a little bit too long. And we have that again this year with 17 regular season games, 18 total weeks. Like they're gets to be a point of diminishing returns for even the best stuff where all of a sudden you're offering too much of it and it has a, a, a way of watering down the product. And so for the NBA to try and manufacture this added level of competitiveness with the teams and then as a result, you get more enthusiasm out of the fans. Like I don't fault them for trying. I just, I wonder what the long-term viability of it is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And like if LeBron doesn't win it next year and it's not new anymore. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of guys on that team that, I mean, $500,000 doesn't mean anything to LeBron, but he even joked afterwards. He was like, we got in the locker room and, or, or we got, I don't know. He's saying something about like the young guys came up to him and they were like, so when do we get our money? Hmm. <laughs> so for like a lot of those guys, you know, maybe the, like uh, CB mentioned uh, Longhorn, uh, former Longhorn Jackson Hayes is on the Lakers right now. <laughs> $500,000, you know, not that he hasn't made a good chunk of money now playing in the NBA for four or five years, but 500 K probably help his life a decent amount and help his bank account. Um, so I think yeah. you'll always have that where the players will play a little harder and it'll be something where I think they'll kind of be able to, I mean, especially on ESPN because they have the TV contract, they'll be able to sort of manufacture that coverage maybe, which I think will in turn lead to a little bit more interest and those kind of things where, you know, I mean, Trey, there's going to be people like you obviously that are just, Hey, I, I just, I just don't care. 
Like, I don't care. It, it, it doesn't do it for me. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, they probably were less like if someone is tier one NBA, just hoop head junkie. And I'm like tier two where I really enjoy basketball, but I kind of am going to tune in after Christmas. And then maybe when the playoff picture starts taking shape and then the occasional Laker game on national TV. And maybe I'll watch highlights, box score, whatever. And then there's you where you're just like, you know, the third tier where like, you just don't care. Like it just, it, it doesn't matter what they do. Like you're, you're done with the NBA. You're done with professional basketball and that's fine. They're probably marketing honestly more to like my tier and tier two where it's like, Hey, Oh, Can yeah. we get that person in a little bit earlier to your point? I mean, you were saying this earlier in a way, like, can we, can we get that person that was going to watch and going to watch the games on Christmas day, if there's no football on and then tune back in in February or after the all-star break, can we get that person now to tune in here? And then all of a sudden it ends and we're a week and a half from Christmas and I'm going to watch games on Christmas. So now you've kind of kept, you've gotten me for, you know, and I don't, I'm not smart enough to know how much that helps them make money over the long, long term, but I guess they just feel like anything they can do to drum up more interest in the, in the season helps because at the end of the day, what they really should do is just play fewer games. But obviously we know because of that, that's never going to happen. So they're never, you know, they, they, they do the same thing in baseball too. Oh, I gotta, you gotta play fewer games. Guys, not going to play fewer games because what, ha- what has to happen then is Everybody makes less money on the TV contracts. Everybody that plays and coaches, they now have to take less money, most likely, because or the owners are going to want them to take less money because they're not playing as many games. You're not selling as many hot dogs, sodas, beers, etc. Parking, you know, like so. Whenever people bring that up, it's like it's the most naive take of all time and how to like fix some of these games. Like they're never going to play less games, guys. Sorry, it is idealistic. And these teams are guilty of the opposite where they're not necessarily extending the regular season. All the NFL is, which we just talked about, but every single one of these leagues is expanding their playoffs now in ways that I don't know if it's healthy for the postseason. We're not to everybody getting a trophy come postseason time just yet, Jeff, but we're seeing mediocrity represented in the playoffs at times. And sometimes mediocrity gets hot at the right time. I mean, Trey, the 10 seed in the NBA gets to play its way into the playoffs. That's crazy. That is fucking ridiculous to me. A There's only what 15 teams in every conference. So yeah. basically two thirds of the, of each conference gets to either they get into the playoffs or they have a legitimate chance to basically win two games to get in, like right. you said, get hot at the right time and baseball. I don't want to say suffers from that in a way, but you don't, I got to be careful. There's a lot of Rangers fans on here. I'm talking to one right now. (laughs) This year, I mean, the Rangers had a fantastic team, but I do think there are, there are years where you're like the hottest team won. And I don't necessarily know if, and again, I think I'm fine with that because if it was just the most talented team every year, then why would we even ever play any games? If you just want the most talented team every year to win. Um, But there are times where, there have been teams that sneak in and maybe make a deep run. And you're like, Whoa, like, I don't even know if that team should have been in the playoffs. Like kudos to them for playing their way in. I mean, shit, you could have said that about the Lakers last year in the NBA. Three of four of the championship series teams in baseball this year were wild card teams. Yeah. So it speaks directly to your point and this idea that these teams actually get the advantage of continuing to play games versus having to sit off and maybe getting out of rhythm 
which sports in general is a rhythm. Baseball is especially a rhythm thing. And if you fall out of that comfort zone, a sport that sees guys at the plate failing far more often than they're successful, it uh, can end disastrously for them. Your Dodgers suffered that fate this year after the incredible regular season that they had. As stupid as it sounds, sometimes it feels like there's not an advantage to winning your division and having one of the best records. I mean, I know home field is a big advantage, but even home field. How good were the Rangers on the road this year? Historically good on the road in the playoffs. It didn't It didn't matter. The road team, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, in the ALCS, didn't the road team win every game? Every game, that is yeah. correct. Yeah, the Rangers, I know they went 4-0. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, by the way, there's going to be a potential issue that the college football playoff, I guess the schedulers are going to have to figure out. And that is how many weeks are you going to give each of these teams off before you start that playoff? Because remember, the top four seeds will be getting that first round by. And so are we giving two weeks before the playoff begins? That means it's going to be three weeks off for those top four seeds. Football, not quite as much of a rhythm thing, but we've seen in the NFL playoffs, even that week off can be problematic for that one seed or what used to be the one and two seed, but now it's just the one seed. So how quickly after the regular season and conference championship games for as long as those are going on end, how much, how long are you going to put a gap in there before you, you resume things immediately or do, should it start that very next Saturday? Cause you're still trying to aim for that second Monday in January for that national championship game. Most years, I would assume. Yeah. And I mean, I, Again, I, I'd have to see a schedule in front of me, but I would imagine the way it's going now, I mean, they would be playing like this week or maybe even last weekend. Well, I don't know. Like, they, Yeah, then it becomes, are they going to move the Heisman? But this week there would be some sort of first round or quarterfinal game going on, right? And then you dip into that Christmas break and all that. Like, I know we've seen what the bracket would look like, but I'd be curious to see if they did it this year, what the schedule of the games would look like. Because... To my knowledge, they're going to continue to play conference championship games, right? At least for they this are. next, at least for this next season. To me, that seems like that, and then one non-conference game. One of those two things: the conference championship games or a regular season non-conference game. I think you got to get rid of one of those. So we have, but then also only twelve teams are going to get in the playoff every year. So then now you're, you know, and there's what 140 something FBS teams. So now you're now you're taking. And now you're taking an extra game away, an extra opportunity from these teams, a revenue game for these teams in a lot of cases. You know, if you're playing at home and it's a home game that gets taken away, you're taking away an opportunity from 130 something teams that don't make the playoff. So that's that's difficult, too. I think the easiest thing would be is just to nix the non-conference games and say, hey, or sorry, to nix the conference championship games. And and then you can say, hey, man, if you didn't do enough in 12 regular season games and you didn't schedule enough of you know, enough, uh, if you have a, you're in a bad conference, if you didn't schedule a difficult enough non-conference game and you didn't do enough in 12 games, then then sorry, like to be the 12 seed. So the playoff committee has already put out the schedule for next year's games. Okay. And the conference championship games are still happening and will still be happening at least for the next couple of years. Well, and that's a a tough business wise too, because there's, I'm sure there's contracts with stadiums and TV partners that run through, you know, dates in the distant future of which I don't know off the top of my head. 
Yeah, my understanding is that that first round of games, the four better seeded teams will get a home game, and then they'll shift to the traditional bowls for the last three rounds. But the first round games are going to be the weekend before Christmas, December 20th and 21st. The quarterfinals. So are the quarterfinals going to be the bowl games, though? Yes, they will be bowl games. The quarterfinals are going to be midweek games. Oh, wow. On New Year's Eve or January 1 or 2 to avoid competing with the NFL wildcard weekends. Smart. The semifinals. Oh, this article is not helping me out. The national championship is going to be January 20th. So it's going to get pushed back uh, by a week and a half, essentially from where it is right now. And so you'll get, you'll get another week gap between the quarterfinals and the semifinal with that championship game still happening on that Monday. See, it's just, it's going to, it's going to change things a lot of ways too, because if you get into the first round, you're one of those eight teams. If you're five through 12 and you lose in the first round, then your season's over without technically going to a bowl game. It's just going to shake up the way that we really, the way that we look at the sport and the way that we talk about bowl games, like sure bowl games will still be there, but there's going to be some really good teams and potentially the number five team in the country is going to end the season. Of course, they're going to say we've got a college football playoff berth, which is going to be different than, you know, whatever, like, I don't know, uh, you know, going to just saying, Oh, we got to a new year six, but I don't know. Is that going to carry more weight than just being the number nine team this year and going to, you know, being uh whoever and going to being, I don't know, Georgia and just going to the orange bowl this year. <laughs> it's just going to be weird. It's going to change the way that, that we talk about things. Yeah. I mean, look at how many guys are going to opt out of new Year's six games this year versus how many guys are going to be opting out of games of similar ilk next year, where there's actually the potential to continue your season after that. Like this is a good thing for the sport for sure. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will point out that this should have happened this year with how much parity existed especially uh, maybe not in the top 12, but in the top seven or eight this year with a a bunch of teams having one loss and an argument to maybe find themselves in there. And then you have Florida state who of course goes undefeated, but loses their starting quarterback. And as a result, isn't one of the four best teams. That's the bottom line. Even if they got screwed, both things can be true as we talked about last week. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Interesting times to say the least for uh, sports in general, but especially college football with, how much the landscape has shifted over the last couple of years and how things are going to continue to change for the next couple of years too. I don't think people truly understand what my, myself included, by the way, what college football is going to look like in 2026 with what the NCAA proposed last week with there being like a plus level of FBS with those schools who have the most resources to compete in NIL and having NIL coming directly from the universities and athletics departments which in an underhanded way, they're making the suggestion to try and get out of um, antitrust lawsuits that are going on right now and keep these schools and athletics departments from being considered employers of the student athletes. Um, And just uh, what happens with the TV deals and how many of the conferences that are currently allowed into the playoff will still be a part of things come 2026. I think it's going to be scaled down greatly. And I, yeah, I'm not smart enough to know what it's going to look like then, but I'll tell you this much, Trey. I'm sure as hell going to keep watching it. 
Right. <laughs> like I can, and I always have to, you know, check myself on that. And even I'm sure other college football fans have found themselves doing the same thing. It's not that I'm mad about anything that's happening in college football, but you could have a strong opinion about something one way or the other. They should do this. They should do that. Well, at the end of the day, I can give them all my ideas. They'll likely use none of them. And that's fine because I'm still going to watch it because I just freaking love football. I love college football. And I think over, it's just, this is the most significant change. I think the, I think it's safe to say the last 10 years going from uh, BCS to four team and obviously going from what it was before to the BCS, which is before I was really, I was like four when that happened. So it was before I was really following the sport, but going from that to BCS was a huge change. And then going from BCS to the four team, but then really, I think just this last decade starting then when you went to the four team, I mean, has there ever been, and it's not me saying it's definitely, this is definitely the case, but more asking maybe somebody who's even older than both of us, who has been watching the sport for five decades, has there ever been more transformative change in the sport of college football in the last decade, like in any other time period? Because it's not just going from where nine years ago we had the first four team and then next year it'll be a decade and we'll have the first 12 team. But then all this stuff mixed in between with NIL, the transfer portal, the amount of money that coaches get paid, like all of it is just off the charts transformative with how much it's changed in such a short period of time. Yeah, and I think it could have been handled better too, but unfortunately the people most responsible for the need to be forward thinking with this sport were gatekeeping dinosaurs. I'm sorry if you're hearing me talk about this again. I know I discuss it with Kevin from time to time, but uh, a lot of those people had no interest in helping the game to evolve. They were fat cats who were enjoying the uh, the riches of the wealth that the sport was bringing a select few when a lot of people who are responsible for making the sport as entertaining as it is, we're getting screwed in the process. And I know that pisses some people off because the college degree matters for something. It does, but their worth is a lot more than a college degree. I'm sorry. It is their earnings potential at that point in time is significant. And a lot of them won't have that same earnings potential when the potential opportunity to play professionally comes calling because only a select few get to do that. And so we're starting to see that leveled now. And even as it became very obvious five years ago that all of this is about to happen, a lot of those same gatekeeping dinosaurs, Jeff, were still fighting battles from five years prior, still trying to for the past and still being so far behind the times that they got caught without any guardrails in place. And it created this sort of wild west environment that still kind of exists in college sports. I mean, we're going through it again with the transfer portal right now. And how many power five starting quarterbacks are going to be playing for a new team next year. And how Matt rule comes out and says, if you don't have a million plus bucks, you're not going to get a good quarterback in the transfer portal. Like coaches are out and out talking about these things, even though supposedly that wasn't going to be how things were. Guys weren't going to be enticed from one school to another, from high school to a program because of the riches being promised, we all knew that was a stupid line of thinking that that was going to last for, I don't know, an off season or two. It's being talked about openly now, which is why it is as imperative as ever for the decision makers at the highest levels to figure out a best way forward 
for those that can afford to play that game versus those who want to treat college sports like the more traditional college model. Because I do think you will still get that in two to three years. And it'll maybe it'll be considered less competitive and not quite as talented. It'll still be compelling, though. But you'll have different levels of it. And you have the possibility of things like relegation, getting back to soccer and how soccer does a lot of things right, even if the sport itself is excruciatingly boring at times. Like the idea that a team can fall off so hard that they're not deemed competitive enough for the highest level, so they get kicked down. And another team that's been doing really well and wants to invest more in playing in that highest level can move up. I love that idea for those little guys who want to play with the big boys. I think there's an incentive incentivization there that uh, that has been very healthy for soccer and would make a lot of sense for what college football eventually becomes too. Trey, with all these changes, I think we can both remember when people were throwing out when NIL was really if it wasn't official yet, but it felt like it was going to become inevitable. Same with the portal. Remember when all these eighteen to twenty-two year olds getting paid a bunch of money, certain guys making more than others. Remember when that was going to fracture the integrity and the chemistry of the locker room and the sanctity of college sports. And remember when having name, image, and likeness money and collectives and all these things, remember when it was going to be a disadvantage for all these group of five schools? Well, guess what? All these things still happened. I saw a lot of really happy college football players uh, on, on Texas this year, on teams that Texas played, on group of five teams, on power five teams. Like none of this, when they actually, the season came about and we played the games, I feel like none of that actually played out. Now, obviously there's locker rooms across the country that were fractured for other reasons, just like there was way back in the day, just like there was two years ago, just like there will be next year. Just like there will be whenever you have human beings together playing sports. I don't think, and I think actually some of the cases with the money, we ended up getting some really cool stories out of it where certain guys were using NIL money. And I know I'll use Arch Manning here, not maybe the best example because he comes from a ton of money and, you know, his football royalty and all that. I thought Arch Manning donating his first $100,000 from that card to a local charity was one of the coolest things I've seen. And regardless of what you want to say of, oh, he didn't need that money. No, he doesn't need that money. His family doesn't need that money. But that was still money that wouldn't have gone to that charity. There's good things that are happening because of all this. And obviously, there's going to be drawbacks to everything. But all these things that the old heads, the dinosaurs threw out, that, you know, whatever you call them, the dinosaur gatekeepers, (laughs) whatever those people were so freaked out about, it's not, it's really not been an issue at all. And then going back to what I just said about, oh, these it's going to be a disadvantage for these group of five teams. Whispers, it was a disadvantage before. It's still going to be a disadvantage. And guess what? We still had awesome stories like James Madison this year. We still had great stories like New Mexico State winning 10 games this year and beating Auburn on the Plains You know, in November. We still had upsets like that. Yeah, we, I, you could say we didn't have upsets amongst like the big teams against, you know, of maybe like a, a five-win Auburn couldn't pull it off against Alabama, whereas a few years back that would have happened. But we still had a lot of the things that we've always loved about college football. A lot of those things still happened. I would almost argue 
most of those things still happen. So it's just funny to me to look back on all these things that people were so freaked out about and up in arms about in regard to NIL and the portal. And, you know, the sport's been fine. I, I would almost argue the sport's never been better. Like, yeah, you had the Florida State uh, kind of debacle this year because of just how many good one loss power five teams there were. But next year we're going to go to 12 and that's going to be new. That's going to be exciting. It's going to allow more teams to compete, compete. They're really not competing, you know, for a national championship because like, all right, if you put Liberty in at 12 this year, I guess you could tell me that they could maybe win one game over the W Florida State Liberty this year, 12 versus five. <laughs> sure. They could beat Liberty. They're not, or they could beat Florida State. They're not winning four games to win the national championship. So you're giving them an opportunity to compete for a national championship that they have no freaking chance to win. So in a lot of ways, the actual fabric of college football is really not changing that much. Well, I, you know, I, I think it has the potential to in ways that are not just positive for those top tier schools, but also some of the also rans that you just talk about that. Yeah, they may make it into the playoff. Well, that's cute. They may win a game, but they don't have a legitimate chance to win a national championship. All of a sudden, if you create a clear distinction between levels and you go back to D1, D2, or whatever you want to call it, the James Madisons, the the Big 12 gets left out, the Big 12 schools, the ACC schools, what's left of the Pac-12, Washington State, Oregon State, they may actually have a chance to win a, a national championship in football at that second or third level. It's just not going to be at that top level. And while there will be some grumbling about that, and I get that, ultimately it will be seen by a good thing even with those schools at that level is my belief. Maybe that's not going to be the case. Maybe that resentment will always be there. But when you start to see, and I'm not suggesting any of these schools are winning a second tier uh, national championship, other than to bring up names of schools that aren't going to win a national championship as the system currently stands. An Iowa state wins a national championship or a James Madison wins a national championship or a fucking pick a mountain West team. Boise state wins a national championship. It was always cool when a team like that won a new year six game, they might actually have a chance in their own playoff to fight through the postseason and win a national championship. So you get a, another level of college football postseason at that point too, with those second and third tier schools. Yeah. I think I love that idea. I'm fascinated by that idea. I just think logistically with, and I don't know if it would be an issue with TV contracts or conferences and sharing, you know, revenue sharing and those kind of things that happen. That's the only, to me, that's the biggest hurdle with, with any sort of like relegation model like that is these teams went out of their way to sign up to be part of a certain conference and to guarantee themselves a certain percentage. And I see what you're saying. It, it incentivizes them to feel the competitive enough team to stay at that level. But I just don't, I don't think, I think you, I think you have a great idea. I just don't think the leadership is in place to get everybody on board to actually follow through with that. Because right now I think with the way things are shifting, all these teams just, they just want the guaranteed money. Like they just want the most guaranteed money and they can tell you that they want to compete for national championships. And let's say um, Baylor makes a head coaching change or Gundy eventually leaves Oklahoma state. The two coaches that take those jobs are going to stand at a podium and they're going to tell you that they're going to compete for national championships. They are not going to compete for national championships in this current format. Now, 
could, I mean, in a four-team format, could that team maybe, they would almost have a better chance in a four-team format. Like, <laughs> they're never going to recruit at a high enough level to win four, three, or four games in a, in a playoff format. So, I don't know. I, I just don't. I just don't think you're going to get enough u- uniformity across there to, to ever have that idea play out. You're not going to need uniformity. It's because who is in charge of the college football playoff committee? That's going to be the new governing body. So you're saying they're just going to kick everybody out, basically, and do whatever they want? The sport is going to break off from the rest of college sports. Watch, and it's going to have a positive impact on Title IX because all of a sudden Title IX is not going to be beholden to football scholarships. So we'll actually level things with every other sport below football and you won't get these bs scenarios where you have 100 100 woman crew teams where you have rich kids basically paying their way to be a part of this crew team so they can get admission into a university and obviously there is a scandal at usc and a scandal at texas and plenty of other places as well involving really good netflix documentary on that too hollywood elite who i haven't seen the netflix documentary i'll put it in the queue though uh so i think title nine improves as a result um, because, but, but the problem is the NCAA with what they suggested last week, what Charlie Baker suggested in his open letter to NCAA institutions is that he's saying, well, there's going to be this different level, but we're still going to adhere to title nine with schools paying NIL money to their athletes because football is the cash cow for a lot of schools. It's going to make a lot of more, a lot more, and therefore you're going to pump a lot more into football. So you're telling me you're going to take the amount that you're paying for football and you're going to spread that out across women's sports? That, that 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 math doesn't add up. The math that does add up is separating football from the rest of college sports, making its own thing, and allowing college sports to still exist as is within the confines of Title IX. And I don't know if that means you have to privatize the football program or have it as a subsidiary of the athletics department. I'm not sure how the... Uh, the logistics work out necessarily other than knowing that the reaction of guys like Greg Sankey to what Charlie Baker proposed last week, it wasn't a positive one. It wasn't a supportive one. You were seeing support from some of these lesser conferences that are in line to make a significantly less money than what the SEC is about to make for its schools, what the Big Ten is about to make for its schools. And that's why I implore you and anybody else who wonders the direction that this is going to head, just pay attention to those basic numbers right there. Because those numbers tell you what each of these schools is going to be working with annually, just in terms of a starting budget to deal with the added cost of NIL. The amount that SEC schools and Big Ten schools are going to be uh, utilizing is what, double what even the ACC and the Big 12 are scheduled to make? for these next, uh, what, eight to 10 years. And it was such a problem for the Pac-12, who I think George Klyevkov, who gets hammered for overplaying his hand, which he should. I've made more jokes about George Klyevkov than everybody. I think he completely fucked the Pac-12 by trying to power play with the Alliance, and he got backstabbed in the process by the Big Ten. But they saw the writing on the wall, too, and they knew that settling on a deal, a TV deal that garnered 30 to $35 million for each of its schools wasn't going to be nearly enough for them to continue competing with the SEC and the Big Ten once that new college football playoff TV deal came into place. And so ultimately, I think this committee, you'll see them trim the fat that is 
the G5 commissioners or representatives and the, the representatives from the Big 12 and probably the ACC, what's left of the Pac-12. And it's really going to be about uh, guys representing the Big 10, the SEC, and probably Notre Dame making a lot of those decisions come 2026. But that news will come out sometime in the next nine months to a year probably. And probably, then you'll yeah. get another round of people being completely enraged by it all, which I understand and you should express those two minutes of hate before you have to accept the new reality in college football. Yeah. And I, I, maybe I'm just quicker than most to just accept it and be like, yep, oh, still love watching college football. Like whatever it looks like, I I'm still going to watch it. I have some bad news in the form of an update on something we talked about several minutes ago, Jeff, Uh-oh. for one of your teams. Oh no. <laughs> Shohei Otani fail a physical or something. Oh, that wouldn't matter. They're still signing him for $700 million. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Not do. Uh, Chris Haynes, who is the senior NBA insider for TNT and Bleacher Reports, tweeted out about an hour ago that the Los Angeles Lakers will raise an in-season tournament championship banner inside Crypto.O Arena. Why? 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 it better be really small. <laughs> like it better be like these banners. And then it's like, Oh yeah, we won this cool thing during the season that LeBron got begged by Adam silver to win. Like it better, it better like read like that, that voice too. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that just speaks to the size of the banner. It's got to be smaller than whatever retired jersey numbers are hanging in the rafters. It needs to be smaller than that. Yes. Because I know who, that's the smallest thing in those banners right now. You know who would be losing his mind about this right now? May God rest his soul. Magic Johnson? Kobe Bryant. Mm, yeah. Can you imagine getting, like, I wish we could get Kobe Bryant's take on winning an in-season NBA cup. I mean, that sentence just. Somebody needs to ask Michael Jordan about it. Cause I bet MJ would have a, a similarly jaded answer. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't, I mean, I, I don't have words like a banner for the in-season tournament win. That's just, as they said in, as a, I can't remember who it was in Mad Men that said in the elevator, not great, Bob. Not great. Yeah, I'm looking at the world champions banner right now, and I guess the banners are kind of hung down. It's a cool, cool looking setup for the banners. Yeah. You would better not hang it below the most recent world championship banner. Or you find can- like, yeah, find, they've got to be, I'll say that too as much as I'm making a a scene about hanging the banner, if they place it properly and it's sized properly and yeah, I'm trying to think of like where they would put it. Like as long as it's not like, I don't know. Cause I mean, Texas, Texas hung an NIT banner. Like to me, that's about the same thing. I mean, the NIT happens in the postseason, but I mean, dude, the NIT, like that better be a really small banner. So I have a description of the banner and it's 
I don't know. It's definitely not. It's not not going to be as big as the world championship banner, which I I think the Lakers are smarter than that. But yeah, I would I would hope so. This comes from Shams. The Lakers are going to unveil a unique NBA in-season tournament banner to honor their 2023 IST championship. Even the acronym is dumb. <laughs> IST. <laughs> IST. What are you a freaking internet provider? Anyhow, it will be. A single forever banner hung on December 18th where future dates will be added should the franchise win additional IST titles in the future. The Lakers' new banner for their home arena will be different in shape and color than the existing NBA championship banners to make it distinct. The team wants to honor the moment but recognizes its distinction among titles. All right. That's a well-written press release. Yeah, it is. And I think it, it gets the point. Like the Lakers are like, yeah, we're, we're going to acknowledge it, but we're going to make sure that it's yeah different from the world championship banners too. All right. That's fair. Carefully, as they should. And they're Hey, since they better leave a lot of room on there for dates because clearly the Lakers are in the business of winning championships with questionable meaning over the last, yeah, or I don't know, lose the banner years. after the season's over with and everybody probably forgets about it. Or those that don't can ask questions and you can silence them pretty quickly. Or what would be sick is if when the Lakers win the real NBA finals this year, LeBron gets on a jet pack during the celebration. He flies up to the top of the stadium and rips the banner down and immediately replaces it with, with an already made real banner to put with the other 17. Can we get our best people on that? I think that we need to avoid putting Lakers legends in the skies and potentially dangerous situations going forward. Yeah. So let's not do that. We can keep him, keep him on the ground if we can. Keep him on the ground. All right. Maybe, maybe let him uh, climb his way through the catwalk, uh, hooked comfortably to the uh, to the railing up high. Let's not let's not have him in any jetpacks though. We don't need any more accidents along those lines. All right, yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. What did you make of the Chiefs freaking out over Kadarius Tony getting called for an offsides where he was offsides? So to be honest, I was uh, I was kind of acting like a little like a little biatch about it because I had Chiefs minus two and a half, but. <laughs> Like even like I was even texting people like up until about eleven last night, and then I woke up in the morning and I was like, "Yeah, like it was way off sides." And I was trying to be like, "I mean, I see what Andy Reid and and them are saying. Like they didn't get a warning, they didn't get a heads up because I do think that does happen a lot in the off season. They say, "Hey, we're gonna make a conscious effort to call this more than we did previously." So. I, I guess I can kind of see what Andy Reid's saying on that. But yeah, afterwards, it's just like, you, know, you heard everybody, every other analyst come out and say, yeah, it was offsides and it was, it was a penalty. Like, I mean, wide receivers, yeah. they look to the sideline and point for a reason. And Kadarius Tony didn't do that. He just lined well, up. And I kept, I kept saying last night, like he had to have looked over at the sideline and, and done, you know, and checked with the refs. Like, I mean, that was the first thing that they taught us to do when we played football. Like I started playing football in fifth grade and I played receiver and corner. And that was the first thing is you step, Hey, you're on the line. You're the X receiver. You're on the line in this formation or you're the Z receiver and you're off the line. You know, I would look at the 
ref and I would say, I'm on. And then he'd, you know, acknowledge or even not acknowledge. And it was like, okay. Like, and then a couple of times he's like, Hey, they'd give you the, like everyone that's played football long and like that played football long enough had gotten at one point, if you played receiver, you got the, all right, get back a little bit. You know, you're getting a head start there, chief. Kadarius Tony is not your traditional wide receiver in a lot of ways, Jeff. And that includes his lack of desire to, to do one of the most basic things that wide receivers all know how to do. I mean, it's just the little things like that, that he's, I mean, he's, I don't want to say he's lost because obviously no one ever single-handedly loses a game for a team. He has had between the first game against the lions where he had all those drops Mm -hmm. and then this game yesterday where if he's an inch back, they probably win that game. I mean, I know Josh Allen would have had a chance, but you know, I like my chances of them winning that game. Uh, yeah, hard to hard to hard pill to swallow. You know, if you're on the Chiefs, root for the Chiefs. We're back in the Chiefs in that game. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think Pat Mahomes' response was a lar- in large part him reaching a, a breaking point with the frustrations of this season because he still played really well, even though that offense has stagnated for the better part of a month now. And Kelsey is played pretty well i know he was hurt at the start of the season he's been decent he hasn't been his usual dominant self but they're not getting any help on that offense otherwise and you can tell he's kind of frustrated too kelsey that is because he had the offensive pi called and you almost never see that called like he's just got to be that that's got to be out of frustration for him of just i i'm just tired of this like i gotta get open it's the only only way we're gonna move the ball besides you know they ran the ball i guess okay yesterday but Mm -hmm. He's got to be sitting there helpless. Just, I mean, I'm, I'm Pat's only hope right now. And, you know, Rasheed Rice, I feel like everybody, cause he's shown maybe the most potential. It seems like everybody just wants him to be the guy. He scores the touchdown and then he fumbles and it's like, ah, oh, man, like just cannot help this guy out. Yeah. Sky Moore is another guy that another young guy that people were hopeful in. It's very clear at this point. He just kind of is what he is. That's not, refer to him as the second coming of Tyreek Hill anymore. Uh, by the way, there is a team that the Texas basketball team played this year. I forget if it was Louisville or UConn, and they had a Sky on their team as well who spelled their name like Sky Moore, S-K-Y-Y. Are we about to embark on a generation of athletes who are named after the vodka for which they were conceived? Is that what, what, is that what's about to happen here? Because I, you know, I haven't seen Sky as a name at all up until these last couple of years, and now we have two examples of a Sky with two Y's at the end. Well, if people were doing that, then wouldn't every other dude in Austin be named Tito? <laughs> right? It's why my son's middle name is Goldschlager. <laughs> Not Tito Elling. Yeah, what are you going to be uh, drinking at your wedding, by the way? I don't know. I mean, I... Yeah, that's that's gonna have to be kind of a kind of have to set the game plan for that, huh? Like probably, I mean, I think I'll want to start with, you know, maybe just like a vodka soda and a lime that I can really just nurse and take my time on, mm-hmm. and then at some point I think I'll probably end up just finishing the night with beer, White Claws or whatever else. Liquor, beer, in the clear. Yeah, that goes for White Claws too. No, it definitely is. 
it definitely is for so many reasons, one of those nights where you got to follow that rule. And that's why I think everyone told me that that's made the mistake of not eating or not eating enough or not planning it out, you know, um, because like you said, Trey, like what happened to your wife? You got to be on the next day too. Yeah. Especially you guys did destination. We're doing it where it's not destination overall, but it's destination for a lot of people and they're staying yep. for a couple of days after. And we're not immediately honeymooning. We're going to do that later. I think in like probably around Memorial day, early midsummer, it's kind of our goal to just go, go do something tropical. Like I want to do it. Oh, since waiting. I just, what's that? Y'all don't even know where yet. No, we don't. We're, uh, I mean, we're going to figure that out in the next couple of weeks, probably. Well, but yes, yeah, so we want to go. I mean, I would envision it as going somewhere tropical and nice to escape Austin, you know, in June or July when it's 800 degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good time to escape. It's why we did the destination wedding in January, leaving yeah. Chicago and going someplace nice. Um, oh, I do have one piece of uh, wedding night advice for you on the note of uh, trying not to drink too much or pacing yourself. <laughs> I feel like that's the only advice. Enjoy it and don't drink too much. <laughs> well, for, for every drink, no, because because drink, drink, enjoy yourself. Get a little yeah. bit tipsy. That's okay. But for every drink you have, drink a water in between. That'll help you out. It'll help you pace it and it'll help you avoid the hangover the next day. Yeah. And, and hey, I guess, I guess having to go pee a bunch will help me slip out of... Uh... A conversation maybe you know you'll break the seal you're gonna have to pee every 20 to 30 minutes it'll <laughs> uh it'll be like magic baby now it's five o'clock so real quick before we say goodbye to the people uh bk are you at your computer right now to stop the stream once we're done uh oh well maybe not <laughs> bummer i was gonna get his bob blue karaoke story i'm like 95 percent sure we'll have, we'll have to get it we'll have to get it next there monday and then, and then I'll have to report back on whether or not Bob Blue sang at my wedding. There we go. Okay, um, sorry to uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, whatever it is that was going on just now, I was eating a fucking salad, so don't apologize. <laughs> oh my oh, god! Oh, so we did you a favor. Yeah, really you committed to this working out and getting in better shape. Thank kudos to you. It's Very the worst. Proud of you right now, man. <laughs> so I'm on. I'm on Jeff's side here. I'm against <laughs> me. CB earlier asked if Bob Baloo was going to sing at Jeff's wedding on Ooh. Thursday night. And Jeff said there is no plan for him to do that. For anybody who was un unaware, Bob Baloo is apparently a legendary karaoke guy. I feel like you guys went out when we were at Ranger Spring training several years ago and Bob did some karaoke. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, he did. And he crushed it. That's what I was he telling Trey. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, the The urban legend can be confirmed. He is uh, phenomenal at karaoke. Did you Did you karaoke that night? I don't think I did. Okay, I wasn't drunk enough. I got to be very drunk to yeah. karaoke, and we had that's to be how up. I am. Yeah, we had to be up early the next morning um, for Ranger stuff and to do shows and whatnot. Um, so yeah, no, I did not participate. But I, I think Bob was relatively sober too. Like it wasn't one of those like. Oh, he just had that liquid courage built up. So he went up there and sang. Nah, he was just, he was ready for the moment. And the moment was not too big for him. Dude, it's, it's like, it's like superhero mode. Like people, someone that doesn't know is like, hey, karaoke. And it's like, like, <laughs> gets into, gets into the mode. Yeah, he does. Oh, man. So no plans for him to sing, but I guess there's a chance he just grabs the mic from somebody and starts going off. 
you know, he's not even been briefed on this possibility, but I'm not going to, not going to rule it out. It was just a great idea brought up by CB in the comments earlier. I love it. I love it. Well, congrats to you. I know I've texted you this, but um, congrats in advance of the weekend, brother. Super, super happy for you. And uh, I don't have any advice to give you like Trey does, (laughs) but uh, enjoy the weekend, man. Make the most of it. And uh, really excited for both of y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Yes. Congratulations, Jeff. And early congrats. And we'll talk uh, a week from now with you being official. So y'all have a blast. Thank you so much. I'll ho- hopefully I'll have some good stories to report back on Monday. I'm sure you will. Great show today. And thank you to everybody for watching and listening to Texas Sports Unfiltered today. Make sure to click that subscribe button if you're on YouTube right now and have not done so already and thumbs up today's episode and do download the free app through your iPhone or Android for Jeff, BK, and everybody else at Texas Sports Unfiltered. Uh, Thank you. We will be back tomorrow from 8 to 5, starting with Bucky and BK bright and early at 8 a.m. In the meantime, have a great rest of the evening and hook them.